to the Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This in-depth, one-hour radio broadcast features a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible, as originally taught by Pastor Chuck. Our study today picks up in the book of Mark, chapter 13, verse 1, as we follow along with today's lesson. Those in the upper city of Jerusalem could come across this massive a bridge of which part of it still exists to the present day. Uh, When you go to the Temple Mount area, uh, you will uh, go under uh, the, uh, or go up to the Western Wall and into the gate to the left there, and you'll see this tremendous arch in there, which was one of the arches of this bridge that, Crossed the Teropian Valley, some 300 feet long, and the people in the upper part of Jerusalem could come across the bridge to the temple without going down into the valley and back up again. Uh, The top of the bridge was 250 feet above the valley floor. So uh, it's just absolutely uh, mind-boggling when you're there and you see the huge stones that they used just to build the bridge, the huge stones that they used to build this retaining wall uh, around the the southern part of the Temple Mount area and the eastern part in order to enlarge uh, the area of the temple courtyards and all. And, of course, it was not just the temple itself but there were other, many other buildings built in conjunction with the temple. Uh, colonnades, porches, and uh, just magnificent buildings surrounding the temple. The temple itself, according to Josephus, was 120 cubits high, which would be about 180 feet, uh, which would be about the height of an 18-story building. So it was quite mammoth in size. According to Josephus, some of the stones that were used in the lower level of the building of the temple were 40 feet long and uh, 12 feet high and 18 feet thick. Some of the historians believe that he was guilty of hyperbole. That is sort of exaggerating it a bit. But uh, in uh, the excavations along the western wall, uh, the temple uh, mount area, uh, or the retaining wall, the western wall, up towards the fortress of Antonio, I stepped off one stone that was 47 feet long. Uh, I don't know the thickness of it, but was about six to seven feet high. Uh, It 
is estimated that it weighs somewhere around 160 to 180 tons. And so uh, Herod was really going to put it all into this temple. It was to be a monument unto Herod uh, throughout generations. God had other ideas. The disciple was remarking to Jesus about the stones, these huge stones that Herod used, and about the great building itself with its beautiful gates covered with plates of gold and uh, the golden grapes on the gates that glistened in the morning sunlight, uh, so much so that you really couldn't look at them. It was like looking at the sun, the reflection. And when the disciple was pointing out these huge, great buildings, the temple, the porticles, the colonnades, Jesus said unto them, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And that must have seemed to be one of the most impractical things that Jesus ever said. How in the world could anyone ever destroy such a magnificent structure, such a huge structure as the temple? And yet here is this amazing prediction by Jesus. Not one stone will be left standing upon another. When a person makes predictions... It is easy to find out whether or not they are true or false prophet, and that is, does it come to pass? And if it doesn't come to pass, then it's very obvious they are a false prophet. If it comes to pass, then there are other tests that you should put before you're ready to accept them as a true prophet. But uh, where do they, you know, what are they teaching you to believe and trust in for your salvation? But Here was an amazing prediction and one that will establish whether or not Jesus is a true or a false prophet. Now, they were leaving the temple area. They went through the Kidron Valley over to the Mount of Olives and there was a place that Jesus was accustomed to more or less stay on the Mount of Olives with his disciples and we are told here that it was over against the temple. That is, they had a view of the temple from the place where they were uh, sitting there at the Mount of Olives. And of course, from the Mount of Olives, uh, you have a great view into the uh, temple area, uh, especially uh, from uh, the middle portion of the Mount of Olives. There's a path that comes down and you get a grand view of the whole temple area, uh, the uh, large temple mount area and the buildings. And so Jesus was over there where they could look back down onto the temple mount, the temple and the buildings that were there. And Peter and James and John and Andrew, that is the brothers, Peter and Andrew, James and John, uh, they 
came to Jesus privately and they said, Lord, tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign when all of these things shall be fulfilled? Now, Matthew tells us that they were asking for the signs of the, his coming again and the end of the age. But when shall these things be? When shall this destruction of the temple take place? So in this Olivet Discourse, you have actually prophecies that deal with the signs of the destruction of the temple. And then you have prophecies that deal with the signs of his coming and of the end of the Gentile age. And as I said, Matthew and Luke give to us fuller accounts of this Olivet Discourse. So Jesus answering them began to say, Take heed lest any man deceive you. Now, one of the signs would be false messiahs, false Christ, deception. For many will come in my name saying, I am Christ or the Messiah, the anointed one, and shall deceive many. I've often said that it is tragic what men will believe who have rejected the truth of Jesus Christ. You know, if you want to just set yourself up as a sucker to believe anything, then just don't believe in Jesus. <laughs> I mean, I, I look at, at these people who have rejected the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I look at the Harry Krishnas. I see them in their saffron robes. I see them with their finger symbols and uh, their shaved heads. And, and, and I, I see them as they are dancing on the streets and so forth. And I think, what a tragedy. What foolish things people will believe who reject the truth of Jesus Christ. And the Lord sort of said that. In 2 Thessalonians, he said that because they would not receive the knowledge of the truth, God gave them over to a strong delusion that they would believe a lie rather than the truth. And you see people who are following after men who proclaim themselves to be Messiah. Take the case of uh, Korosh there in uh, Waco, Texas. Take Jimmy Jones in Ghana. And just more recently, this past week, the, the suicides of, of the people that were following this supposed charismatic leader and Looks like maybe there was murder and suicides. But uh, the things that people will believe when they reject the truth of God, God just gives them over to a uh, delusion because they don't want the knowledge of the truth. God will allow them then to be gullible and, and to uh, believe all kinds of fanciful nothings. And so... Jesus warns first of those 
false religious systems uh, that would proliferate. And when you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be troubled. Things, these things must needs be, but the end shall not be yet. In other words, man has not, does not, and will not learn to live together in peace. How the idealists have so long advocated, hoped for, dreamed of a peaceful world. And how they've sought to, to bring to pass uh, treaties that would bring peace to earth. And of course, development of the League of Nations and more recently the United Nations and trying to uh, establish a world type of government so that we can create world peace. But just look at our world today. Look at how troubled we are. Wars and rumors of wars, and right now rumors of wars again. But Jesus said those things are going to happen. The world, and I hate to explode any of your, uh, well, no, I don't hate it. I like to burst your bubbles of, <laughs> that are false. I mean, uh, no sense living in, in, in an illusion uh, or being deluded into thinking, oh, you know, every day and in every way the world is giving, getting better and better and better. I had a grandmother used to tell me that. And um, it, it's not happening. It's not going to happen. The world is going to get worse and worse, according to the scriptures. Evil days shall wax worse and worse. Uh, was spoken of, of the last days, perilous times will come. Because men will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And all of the consequences of man giving himself over to the flesh and the lust of the flesh until it becomes like it was in the days of Noah when everyone was doing that which was right in his own eyes. So don't live under a false illusion of thinking that uh, we're on the verge of world peace, you know. In fact, Paul said when they begin to say peace and safety, then comes sudden destruction. So... Watch out for that peace cry. Jesus said you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, and, and that's going to go on and has gone on and shall go on until the Lord does come. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in diverse places. There shall be famines and troubles. And these are just the beginnings of sorrows. That is, the nations against nation, kingdoms against kingdoms, earthquakes in the diverse places, famines and pestilences. And of course, we are seeing our share of these things today, the beginning of sorrows. And so take heed to yourselves. Now, he is telling now the disciples the things that are going to be happening to them. This is prior to the destruction of the temple. They are going to deliver you up 
to the councils and to the synagogues and you will be beaten and you will be brought before the rulers and the kings for my sake for a testimony against them. So he's, he's saying, it's not going to be easy to be my disciple, to follow me. You're going to be persecuted. They're going to bring you before the religious councils. They're going to bring you before the rulers. They're going to beat you. Uh, and um, all of this will be done for my sake. And so we do read in Acts, the fourth chapter, when Peter and John were beaten and commanded not to preach anymore in the name of Jesus. They went their way rejoicing that they were accounted worthy to suffer persecution for Jesus Christ. No doubt remembering these words of Jesus as they were being beaten, thought, yep, Lord told us. Uh, and, uh, you know, he's a prophet. Here it is. So the gospel must first be published among all nations. There are many mission groups that have taken this passage of Scripture as their main uh, impetus for their foreign mission programs. Uh, Jesus said the gospel will be preached in all the world and then shall the end come. And um, it is it is the commission of the church to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That is the commission Jesus gave to his disciples, to the church. And it is thrilling today to me to see how that so many of the churches have developed a vision for world missions and how many Calvary Chapel missionaries we have serving the Lord all over the world tonight. Just how the Lord is going to accomplish this feat of the gospel being published or preached into all the world is not fully known. Surely satellite communication opens up a broad new field of getting the gospel into all the world. This past week we were approached by a religious broadcasting group who have a large 250,000 watt shortwave transmitter and antennas that are beamed towards Mexico and South America and offering to turn these over to us for a radio ministry that would reach Mexico and South America. And we are presently praying about it, looking for property in Idaho to relocate uh, the transmitter and tower because it will be necessary to relocate them. But the opportunity of, of getting the gospel out through radio. Uh, we, of course, are going on satellite within just a few days now. Uh, we put up a test signal this past week 
onto the satellite. And uh, we will actually, <laughs> we don't have our station set up for it yet, but it can be received on these antennas, you know, that people have uh, around the country, especially those that live up in the remote areas. And we already had some calls from people who picked up the signal off of the satellite dishes, you know. And uh, so uh, it, it's interesting. And, and we're moving in this direction. And another way by which uh, we can expand the preaching of the gospel. Uh, Mexico does not allow religious broadcasting per se. Uh, but with the shortwave, we can pop right into Mexico. And uh, so... It's a, uh, and the government can't stop it. We uh, just bounce the signal off the ionosphere and, and it just blankets Mexico. So uh, there are many opportunities of getting the gospel into all the world. And uh, we do know that in the 14th chapter of the book of Revelation, during the great tribulation period, there will be angels who will be flying through the midst of heaven bearing the everlasting gospel. So maybe Jesus was referring to uh, the angels carrying the message uh, and uh, this will precede and then shall the end come. Uh, God is faithful and I believe that God is giving one final witness to the world. I believe that uh, God is not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repentance. And uh, that final witness to the world, the opportunity of men to believe or to reject Jesus Christ. And uh, so one of the signs of the last days, uh, the gospel first published among all nations. But when they shall lead you and deliver you up, that is before the councils and all, don't take any thought beforehand what you will speak, neither premeditate whatso neither premeditate, but whatsoever shall be given you in that hour that speak, for it is not you that speak, but the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is saying you don't have to worry about your defense. The Holy Spirit will just give you the words to speak. And you see classic examples of that. Uh, when Paul was arrested and brought uh, before the magistrates and all, uh, how the Holy Spirit inspired Paul's testimony to them. You see it in the case of Stephen, uh, where he was brought before the council and how the Holy Spirit gave him that masterpiece of a sermon. Now the brother shall betray brother to death, the father, the son, children will rise up against their parents and shall cause them to be put to death. And you shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. So it's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. You're going to be uh, lights in a dark world, but the world doesn't want the light. Uh, you're going to be salt uh, to preserve the world from rotting, but they don't want that preservation. They're going to hate you. Uh, you're going to be persecuted uh, for my sake. And uh, even your own family members may turn against you. 
and deliver you up to the judges. But when you shall see the abomination of desolation, now we go leapfrog into the signs of the return of Jesus Christ to the earth in power and glory. When you will see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing where it ought not. Matthew says standing in the holy place. The book of Daniel chapter 9 speaks of the abomination of desolation. And it again is referred to later on in the book of Daniel and From what Daniel says, we know that the abomination of desolation is the desecration of the rebuilt temple by the Antichrist. Now, it would appear that when the Antichrist comes into power, that he will make a covenant with the nation of Israel, a covenant for seven years. And in the covenant, it would appear that he does grant to them the permission to rebuild their temple. And of course, this is on the heart of so many Jews today. And they are looking for their Messiah because of the nation being birthed again. They are, many of them, looking for their Messiah. And they believe that they will be able to recognize their Messiah, who they say will be a man. They will recognize him because he will lead them in the rebuilding of their temple. He will be the one that will bring them their temple. And so it would appear from Daniel that this covenant will be made with Israel by this man of sin, the Antichrist. And probably in that covenant, Uh, grant them the privilege of rebuilding their temple on the northern portion of the Temple Mount site in Jerusalem, probably putting a wall uh, next to the Dome of the Rock Mosque and then reserving the whole northern side for the Jews to have their religious center and the Muslims can keep the southern side, uh, which they have the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque. It is interesting that when John measures the temple that is to be built, the Lord commands him not to measure the outer court because it's been given to the Gentiles. And in the new temple that Ezekiel saw, there was a wall that was built around it to separate the holy place from the profane. And so it would appear that there will be a covenant made with Israel allowing them to rebuild their temple without actually creating a jihad uh, with the Muslims. And in the midst of the seven-year period, three and a half years into the covenant, he will come to Jerusalem And he will stop the daily sacrifices and the daily prayers. And he will stand there in the temple of God, according to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 
showing that he is God and demands to be worshipped as God. That is the abomination which Daniel said causes the desolation. That is the final affront of man against God. At this point, the wrath of God's indignation will overflow and will begin the three and a half years of the great tribulation period of which the Bible speaks. So this great tribulation period of three and a half years will precede the return of Jesus Christ in glory. He will come at the end of this great tribulation period. In fact, he will come 1,390 days after the profaning of the temple, after this abomination that causes desolation, according to Daniel chapter 12. So when you see this abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing where it ought not, that is, standing in the holy of holies of the new temple, let him that reads understands. And so you're under the command of the Lord. When you read this, you need to understand it. And to understand it, you need to go back to Daniel uh, chapter 9 and on through to the end of the book of Daniel to get understanding of this abomination which causes the great desolation. Then let them that are in Judea flee to the mountains. Now, according to the book of Revelation, chapter 12, God will give to the nation of Israel, to the woman, wings of an eagle to bear her to the wilderness place where she will be nourished for three and a half years. Time, times and a half time, the three and a half years in which God will preserve them in this place in the wilderness that God has set for them. And so this is the time to flee when you see this abomination of desolation. Let him that is on the housetop not go down into the house, neither enter therein to take anything out of it. In other words, post haste, get out of here fast. Let him that is in the field not even go back to his house to get his garment. And woe to those that have little children and to those that are nursing in those days, going to be days of great hardship. And pray that your flight will not be in the winter. For in those days there shall be affliction such as was not from the beginning of creation. These are going to be the hardest days that man has experienced upon this globe we call the planet. Days of turmoil, days of strife, days of, of cataclysmic uh, judgments uh, of uh, divine wrath and it's, it's uh, unparalleled in, in the history of man even greater than the flood of Noah greater than the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and so in those days there shall be affliction such as was not from the beginning of creation which God created unto this time and neither shall be this is it this is this will be the uh, place in history, nothing ever again like this. Nothing has ever been like this. And except that the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh should be saved. But for the elect's sake whom he hath chosen, he hath shortened the days. The phrase no flesh 
would be saved. It is interesting that in some of the latest weapons that are developed uh, are what are called uh, dirty bombs, nuclear bombs uh, that have extremely intensive radioactive fallout. These bombs are designed not to destroy the buildings, uh, the material things. They only destroy the human body by ultra-radiation. And uh, this ultra-radiation, of course, causes uh, running ulcers and a person Uh, The flesh is just eaten away. And of course, God described, interestingly enough, in Zechariah, uh, the manner by which those who came against Jerusalem were to be destroyed. And as the Lord describes uh, the the method by which they were to be destroyed, it uh, sounds very much uh, like uh, radioactive Uh, kind of burns and all that the people uh, would receive. And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh will consume away while they stand upon their feet. And their eyes will consume away in their holes and their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. Uh, Of course, we now have a new virus that is a flesh-eating virus. And... uh, So no flesh would remain an interesting choice of words. And then if a man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or lo, he is there, don't believe him. For false Christ and false prophets shall rise and shall show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. But take heed, because I have foretold all of these things. Told you in advance. But in those days, after the tribulation, the end, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give her light, and the stars of heaven shall fall, and the powers that are in heaven shall be shaken. Isaiah speaks of this event in the 16th chapter. Uh, Joel speaks of this in chapters 2 and 3. Amos speaks of this. The days when the sun doesn't shine, the moon doesn't give her light, and a tremendous meteorite showers upon the earth. Powers of heaven shaken. Actually, uh, Isaiah describes uh, the earth reeling to and fro like a drunken man, being moved out of its place. Great cataclysmic events. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and great glory. So the signs of his coming, this great tribulation period, climaxing in this spectacular, cataclysmic heavenly events, the sun not shining, the moon not shining, and the tremendous meteorite showers. And then Jesus coming with clouds, they're in the clouds with great power and glory. And then shall he send his angels, 
and shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from the uttermost part of the earth to the uttermost part of heaven. Now, his elect here are the Jews, not the church. Uh, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 12, is no doubt the passage that Jesus is referencing here uh, when he talks about his coming and this uh, gathering together from the ends of the earth. He shall set up an ensign for the nations and shall assemble the outcast of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. And so um, it's a reference to Israel. Now, there are those that say, well, it's the church, and thus they put the church in the great tribulation period. But those who say that God is through with Israel, that the church is Israel, have such a messed up prophetic view that it, it's hopeless. Uh, and uh, it's, it's dangerous to, to say that God is through with the nation of Israel. God said that uh, as long as there is day and night, he will not forget his covenant with the nation of Israel. So if the sun comes up tomorrow, God's covenant is still standing with Israel. And uh, don't rule Israel out. God is not and will not uh, break his covenant with the nation. He's going to take them through some heavy experiences, but yet he uh, has made his covenant and his promises to them and they are, the church does not replace Israel. We have our own place uh, in our relationship to God through Jesus Christ. But Israel also has its place. And God is going to yet deal with them. He's got a seven-year uh, covenant to yet be fulfilled with the nation of Israel. So then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds in great glory, and he will send his angels and gather them. Now, learn a parable of the fig tree. Now, in the Old Testament, the fig tree has been used as a symbol of the nation of Israel. God cried through the prophet, uh, they have barked my fig tree, as he spoke of the uh, destruction of Israel. Uh, in the book of Jeremiah, God likened Israel to a basket of figs, rotten figs, uh, that were so rotten that they had to be thrown out. Uh, Jesus, in the cursing of the fig tree, uh, there was a symbolism involved. It was a tree that didn't bear fruit and thus was cursed and would wither and die. And so with the nation of Israel, because it did not bring forth the fruit that God had desired. It was to be cursed. It was to wither and die. But God would bring it back from the grave, Ezekiel chapter 37. So learn the parable of the fig tree. When her branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So the fig tree in the springtime begins to put forth the green leaves, the new fruit. You know, summer is coming. Summer's getting close. It's sort of like when you see 
the signs, uh, the, the Santa Clauses and the Christmas trees going up, you know that Thanksgiving is close. <laughs> and so the signs, uh, when the, these things begin to come, so verily I send you, uh, so in like manner when you shall see these things coming to pass, know that it's near even at the doors. Uh, these are the signs uh, of his return. Just know when you see these things that it is near. Verily I say to you that this generation shall not pass till all of these things be fulfilled or be done. Now, uh, the Greek word here, generia, probably refers to the nation of Israel or the Jewish people, uh, the, the genes, the Jewish genes will not pass till all of these things be fulfilled. And the remarkable thing is that the Jews have maintained a national identity for almost 2,000 years without a national homeland. And this is unparalleled in the history of man. There has been no other ethnic group of people who have been able to maintain their ethnic identity without a homeland. Usually when a nation has been taken captive, Within three or four generations, there is a loss of a national identity. And yet here the Jews have maintained their national identity for 2,000 years without a homeland. And so, uh, again, uh, if the generation refers to the Jews as a, a group, it is an amazing prophecy uh, and has been fulfilled. There are those who say that it is the generation that sees the fig tree bud and thus the generation that saw the birth of the nation of Israel. And uh, that more or less uh, is passing. Uh, the generation, I saw the birth of Israel and I'm passing. Uh, and uh, it, those that uh, saw that rebirth, those that were alive in 1948 saw the rebirth of the nation of Israel. There are some that interpret that that generation would not pass. Uh, the budding of the fig tree, is that the birth of the nation or is it maybe uh, when Jerusalem became again uh, Israeli territory in 1967. Jesus in Luke 21 in the same context of the Olivet Discourse said that Jerusalem would be trodden under the foot of the Gentiles until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. So in 1967 when uh, Jerusalem again became under the control of the Israel government completely and fully the whole city of Jerusalem did that mark the budding of the fig tree? if the budding of the fig tree indeed be the nation of Israel. So there are several ways to interpret this, and um, not all of them are, I mean, you can't really discount 
any. Uh, the, the thing is about prophecy, uh, you really never know for sure until after it's happened. <laughs> and then you say, oh, yes, you know. And a lot of people have made mistakes in, in trying to be very dogmatic in their prophetic interpretations. And uh, it has uh, oftentimes proved to be wrong. So heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Now, here are the words of Jesus. Interesting predictions, predictions of uh, the temple being destroyed. It was fulfilled. Uh, prediction of the events that would precede the uh, destruction of the temple. They were fulfilled. Uh, predictions of the things that would be transpiring when he would return again. And we do see such things taking place today. His word would last. It's interesting that we have his word tonight. We're here to study his word. It's been probably no other book has been subjected to such critical analysis as the Bible. No other book has been attacked as viciously as the Bible. There have been so many people that have set themselves to disprove the Bible. Of course, that's a dangerous thing. If you don't believe the Bible, disprove it. Well, prove the Bible wrong. I, I dare you to. But be careful, it's a trap. Because those that have set out to prove the Bible wrong, so many of them that I know, ended up believing the Bible. Uh, it, it, the evidence is, the internal evidence of inspiration is so strong uh, that uh, I, I know of so many who set themselves out to disprove the Bible ended up being very firm believers. So uh, Jesus said his words would not pass away. They haven't passed away. We have them tonight. We're reading them tonight. We're studying them tonight. So another glorious fulfillment of prophecy. But heaven and earth shall pass away. Uh, the earth is in a slow process of, of passing away. Our universe is in a slow process of fading out. The sun is losing mass, 1,200,000 tons of mass per second. Uh, there's, there's just this, as uh, Sir Jean said, the great scientist, the, the earth was like a giant clock. The universe is like a giant clock that was wound up but is slowly running down. Uh, the first and second laws of thermodynamics are taking their toll, and, and there is uh, a, a process of degeneration that is taking place. Of course, the Earth universe is so vast, it'll take uh, a long time in the natural span for this to happen, but according to the Bible, there are going to be cataclysmic things that are going to hasten uh, the end of the universe as such. Heaven and earth will pass, but not the word of Jesus, it's eternal. And that's why we should put such study and interest in the words of the Lord. They are lasting, they're eternal. But of that day and hour knoweth no man. That is the very day and hour that the Lord is coming for his church. Nobody knows that. 
And in the Greek, it means just in the day of hour, no, nobody knows. I mean, it's just, that's what he said. You don't know. Uh, it, we just had another, I, I don't know what gets into people to try and set the, you know, 88 reasons why Jesus isn't coming, or why Jesus is coming in 88. You know, and, and we had that book and all of this fuss around the country. If you heard the book, and I had so many people sending me this Wise and Nuts book. <laughs> Turned out not so wise, but pretty much of a nut, you know, and he didn't make it. And, and so then, so, he, then, of course, he had the audacity to say, oh, I miscalculated, it's 1989, you know, and got the people, uh, well, there weren't that many that followed it for 1989. But even this year, there was another fellow that said this year, and, and he... And he He's a pretty prominent fellow and should know better. But I don't know. There's something about date setting that seems to be fascinating, and you get a lot of people excited. And uh, then, of course, once the date passes, and, of course, this goes way back. They've been doing that, of course, at the, at the uh, thousand year, you know, the first millennium. They, there were a lot of them that believed the Lord was coming then. And when the Lord didn't come in the year 1000, they figured out it's because Jerusalem is under uh, the control of, of the, um, uh, the heathens. And uh, thus the Crusades were to go and free the Holy Land so that the Lord could come. And that was the whole impetus behind the Crusades. And then, of course, what was 1847, 57, some fellow back in Zion, Illinois, uh, got the people all dressed in white robes and uh, waiting because he had figured out the day that the Lord was coming. Jehovah Witnesses have had three or four dates that have passed by for the coming of the Lord. But no man knows the day or the hour. Just, that's it. In fact, not even the angels of heaven know that. And not even the sun. So if you say, well, the Lord's revealed the day and hour to you, you're a pretty special person because he didn't even do that to the sun. Now, because we don't know the day or the hour, the word of Jesus to us is, therefore, take heed, watch and pray, for you know not when the time is. Because we don't know when the time is, the injunction to us is just watch and pray. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work. And he commanded the porter to watch. So Jesus is the one who has gone on the far journey, left his church, and gave us our duties, appointed us the various duties. But to the porter he said, now watch. Watch ye therefore. For you know not when the master of the house is coming, whether it will be in the evening or midnight or in the early morning, the cock crowing, or in the morning itself, lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say unto you, I say unto all, watch. So, watch. <laughs> You don't know. We don't know. 
it could be tonight. I would be thrilled if it were tonight. It could be tomorrow. It could be before the weekend. Watch, because we don't know the time of the Lord's return. The important thing is that we are ready and that we are watching. We'll return with more of our in-depth study in the book of Mark in our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck focuses his attention on the last days of Jesus. And we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, I'd like to remind you that if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Mark 13 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, we encourage you to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, all this can be found at thewordfortoday.org. If you'd like to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of The Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure and join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. Father, we thank you for the Word of God, rich, full, blessed. And Lord, we pray that you will awaken us and stir us unto good works. That when you come, Lord, you will find us faithful servants watching ready for your return. Lord, we pray that we might give all diligence to serving you and to engage ourselves in the things of the Spirit, not to be caught up in the worldly patterns so that the day catches unaware. But Lord, may we be ready, may we be watching. In Jesus' name, amen. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. For years, Pastor Chuck was asked thousands of questions. This new guy that my mom married, he thinks that the Christian beliefs are foolish, and I was wondering if that's going to like affect my mom's walk. I'm a Christian. I'm trying to fight the addiction of smoking, and are those things going to keep me from going in the rapture? Is it okay to use your tithes and give it to someone who's going on a mission trip instead of giving it directly to church? 
The Word for Today is pleased to present an ebook called Biblical Counseling by Chuck Smith, listing over 200 topics that include Pastor Chuck's commentary and the scripture references he used. Topics include addiction, business relationships, depression, lawsuits, sexuality, training children, and so much more. To download the Biblical Counseling ebook by Chuck Smith, visit thewordfortoday.org and click on the link provided. Or you can call 1-800-272-9673.